0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid & Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid and Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Hey, Rev. What's, What's going ha- on, man? I'm, uh, I'm chilling. I'm excited for another uh, Like, Bite, and Share podcast. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. I'm excited. It's good. We're like in a groove now with these things. I'm psyched! I'm psyched that it's live. I'm psyched
0: that we're talking to people. I'm psyched that we're having some fun, uh, and I'm psyched that we're still talking about hamburgers.
1: And speaking of which, my professional segue: What was uh, an interesting burger you've had lately? Uh, so the other night, I met up with some friends from a, a burger club of all ladies called the Burger Babes. We yeah. love the Burger Babes. They're, they're good people. Um, I was I was honored to be the first man ever invited into that club, um, and we went to Lupelo which is uh, George Mendez's place. It's a Portuguese chicken spot, and they also uh, really heavily focused on beer. Lupulo, I guess, means hops in, in Portuguese. Uh, the beer was cr- crazy good, and the burger was also pretty good. It was a double patty situation, two little four-ounce patties with some some uh, Portuguese cheese, the name of which I can't remember, on a really nice sesame seed bun with uh, smoked mayo. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, it's, only, it's only served at lunch and late night, so if you are drinking at loop and you end up there late and you're feeling a little tipsy it's a hell of a burger to go with um what about you so many
0: requirements to eat what, what is smoked mayo by the way and why can't i have it right now
1: it, it i gotta be honest it just tasted like mayo to me but i i did drench my french fries in it so <laughs> it was good it was it, it was it was legit
0: it's funny i i picture like a uh an ex brooklyn hipster who's recently shaved off his beard and has gone back towards that like You know, t-shirt and t-shirt. You know, rolled-up sleeves look hanging on a corner, like
1: vaping mayo. (laughs) Oh my god! I would. I'm really anti-vaping. I just think it's (laughs) silly. But I would vape some mayo. (laughs) That's a
0: whole other podcast. Maybe we should just start an Instagram feed or a hashtag Mayo vaping,
1: vaping. or just things, food items you would vape. Food vaping.
0: Listen, anybody could start an Instagram account. It's you and I, food vaping.
1: Let's do it. I'm actually I'm, – I'm relatively committed to this idea already. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm laughing hard enough that I'm, all, I'm about ready to register the screen name.
1: Sweet. <laughs> Tell me about burgers that you eat after.
0: So I was fortunate uh, to recently go to Wooster, Ohio, and uh, most people – probably most people, <laughs> we go, Rev, what the heck is in Worcester, or Ohio? Why be excited about it? Wooster, Ohio is home to certified Angus beef. Um, and I was fortunate to travel out there with George Moats, who is you know the, what I would call a leading hamburger expert. And we were out there for I mean, just 36 hours, uh, and we shot a little film that's going to be shown at the Food Film Fest, and we ate a lot of burgers. But they took us to this place called the First Amendment Public House, And uh, yes, there is a downtown Worcester. It's about two streetlights long. And this is at the corner of one of them. And, you know, they didn't tell us where we were going. They didn't tell what we were doing. George and I had like just gotten off this flight. We got up at like four in the morning and we walk into this restaurant and we sit down and there's like Dr. Phil Bass, the leading animal scientist and all the CAB people. And uh, out comes this six pound sandwich. And it's a hamburger that is bigger than like my head and George's head combined. Right? And I'm instantly I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. There's no way you can cook a burger that large and have it taste good. In fact, I believe 10 ounces is like the maximum patty size for a delicious hamburger. And uh, so it was like a three-pound patty. And then between the bun and the cheese and all the other stuff, it was six pounds. And, you know, look, it was great for Instagram and 100-some you know, likes and, you know, a lot of fun and giggles. And then we cut into it, and I was like, oh, where are we going to go eat after this? It's going to suck. And I have to say, it was the best tasting oversized burger I've ever eaten. And I wouldn't necessarily say that a restaurant should do this, but whatever they're doing at the uh, First Amendment Public House in Worcester, Ohio, to make a six pound burger, it is delicious and great for Instagram.
1: Did you ask them what they were doing?
0: Um, well, of course I did. And, you know they're using certified Angus beef, it's a uh, Chuck brisket sirloin burger. Uh, they cook the burgers in like a. Um, it's like basically a cake pan with no bottom so that it stays uh, it stays formed and they can easily sear it and they get the burger real high. Um, they use like a, a, a local bakery to do a very, very special bun. They only have a couple a day. Like I, he walked me through the whole process and I was like either share this with everybody or don't tell anyone because – uh, this is pretty awesome.
1: Sweet man. Well, now that I'm nice and hungry and hoping to take my mind off of food, let's talk to Joe is a dory about probably primarily food. I want to just make this very clear at the front Joe is a man who pulls no punches and says what's on his mind. And so the language in this episode is explicit. So <laughs> if you're offended by that sort of thing, sorry, <laughs> listen to a different episode. Uh, But you will miss out on a lot of great restaurant marketing insights. Uh, Joe is the man behind Black Tap Burger, which is uh, in Soho and just opened a new location in um, meatpacking. He is a Michelin-starred chef and a lot of fun to listen to. So get over your fear of swear words and enjoy.
0: I want to welcome Joe Isidori of Black Tap NYC to the show. He is a Michelin star rated chef who owns a burger and beer restaurant, well actually two of them in New York City. Uh, it's been rated one of the best, 12 best burgers in New York City by Gothamist, he's been featured on the Daily Meal, he's appeared on CBS News, he's had coverage by Zagat. Uh, it is certainly one of the burgers of the moment here in the city and uh, Joe, you'll also be serving at the New York City uh, Wine and Food Fest Blue Moon Burger Bash, which is a mouthful hosted by Rachel Ray. Welcome to the show. Yay, and
2: we're hoping to bring home the crown from Burger Bash.
0: The crown. Do you it, there's so there's two uh there are two awards there. Are you going for just one or you want both?
2: No, I figured I'm going to bring my own and then put it on my head and walk out with it. <laughs>
0: For those that don't know, and probably most of you who listen to this podcast do, uh, one Josh Capon has won, I think, four times now the popular vote and one judge's vote, and he walks around with a, a burger belt as if he was a World Wrestling Federation champion. Uh, a little known fact, somebody made that for him. It was not given to him by the festival, so uh, at whatever year he does not win, he still keeps the belt. So, Joe, so I guess if you want to make a crown, it's, it's yours to do.
2: Well, I haven't figured out if this is going to be Rocky One or Rocky Two, but it's going to be a show. That's all I got to say.
0: <laughs> what do you uh, What do you have planned for the bash? I can't tell you.
2: Well, uh, no, actually, we always do our 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 festival burger as our Kobe beef burger, uh, better known in the restaurants as the Greg Norman. Um, you know, Australian Wagyu beef, um, some house made buttermilk dill dressing, and some fresh arugula top of blue cheese. It's really a unique take on a burger. It's it's uh, Everyone. Every time you go to these events, everyone's got the – it's either something really creative or it's the standard old all-American burger, um, and this one kind of just really stands out from the rest. Uh, I think it's the, the addicting buttermilk dressing with the blue cheese, as we affectionately call the crack sauce. Um, pair that with Kobe beef, and you've got a winner.
0: All right, so uh, I've got to take off. I'll be at the restaurant in about 10 minutes. Brad, will I see you there? Yeah, I'll be there, man. <laughs> Joe, how many, how many burger bills did you go through before you decided that was the one you were going to serve at the Food and Wine Fest?
2: You know, it was kind of, it, really, it, it just happened on its own, and that's kind of the beauty about Black Tap. Um, I just, everyone kept asking me, what are you going to do? And everyone's like, oh, you're All-Americans. Great. Um, and, and that was when we first opened. And then, just little by little, I watched everyone's reaction when he ate the Greg Norman, which is our Kobe beef burger. And um, it was the one that got all the foodies attention. It was the one that constantly came back with the, with the most raves. And I, and I said, you know, everyone can do an All-American. I mean, you can't be in a burger game if you can't uh, do an All-American. So I figured that Kobe beef was was our signature, and that, that was what we were going to go out to the world with. Um, and as I said earlier, that's what Black Tap's been the whole time. Everyone's like, what did you do to make this so great and so successful? I said, I just listened to the customer. That's all I did.
1: And they tell me what they want, and I ebb and flow to that. So let's go back a little bit. What uh, motivated you to open up a burger spot down in Soho in the first place? Well, once again, another by accident. Um, I
2: had a restaurant in Carroll Gardens, uh, Brooklyn, called Arthur, which was a a restaurant named after my father, who was a chef for 45 years in in, uh, New York City. And I, I thought, you know, hey, what better than to recreate my family's recipes, I'm a Michelin star chef, I can make this work, blah, 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 blah. First year was amazing. We won every top 10 in Brooklyn, uh, Eater had listed us as best carbonara in the city. I mean we were on, on top of the world. And then the second year came and it was like somebody turned the lights out and I, I could not figure out what was wrong with the restaurant. It was just like every month we were hemorrhaging. Um, so I started looking at you know holes in the business and I realized at five to seven it was a huge hole. And I'm like, well, what do I do? I had this fancy wine on tap system. I ripped out all the wine and I put in craft beer. I said, okay, and I called up Six Point and I said, you know, send me like five, six of your best beer. They were de- literally two blocks from us. Um, and I put this like Italian focused burger menu at the bar from five to seven every day for happy hour. Well, it got to the point where it was the only business I was doing. People were fighting to get in five to seven. So then I extended it and then it just became all I was selling was like burgers and carbonara and beer. And, and finally, I was just like, you know, this is, this is crazy. Uh, so I literally put the restaurant on the market, sold it in two weeks, and uh, took my butt back into Manhattan, um, did a quick little project called Chalk Point Kitchen, uh, which was a huge success, and uh, got my, you know, feet back in the, in the game, and, and then I decided to let's launch this burger concept, and Black Tap was born.
0: What was, like, the lesson that you learned from that process, or was there one?
2: Give the people what they want. That's one. Um, it was kind of like hang your hat up. It's not. It, it was kind of. It felt like. It felt like. Uh, it felt like if if I took the the words or the term fine dining, wrapped it up in a baby blanket, walked out to the to the beach to the ocean in the waves and let it go and watched it drift away and knew I'd never see it again. That's what it was like. And it was like okay, now I've got to figure out really, you know, how to be. And how to survive, and, and, and part of it was giving up being that chefy guy or that, or that chef-chef and, and start to think about really what the customer wanted opposed to what I wanted to put on the plate, and in turn, um, when I took that, that, that stance or, or, or that, that, you know, that, that mental position – I became even more creative. It's so crazy how it works. When I finally decided to give them what they want, I started coming up with some of my best dishes, and they happened to be between two pieces of Martin's potato bun. Um, and uh, you know, I, I just, I just really stuck to that, to that motto and, and that's kind of what Black Tap is.
0: So when you, when you talk about giving the people what they want, were you running like test kitchen nights? Did you have like polls on a website? Like, how did you come to that?
2: Oh, come on. Polls on a website, Test Kitchen. I mean, didn't you just listen to what I just said? There's well, no I mean, I'm, I'm not David Boulet with a Test Kitchen. I you know, mean, I'm, I'm a kid from the Bronx, you know, born and raised. I, I got Test Kitchen. It was, let's cook a burger, and if we fuck the burger up, we'll make another burger, and hopefully it's better. That was the Test Kitchen. You know, so I, it's called being broke and opening a restaurant up on a on a shoestring budget.
0: So so what was your test audience like you and three guys a couple of friends like yeah this is no good or these guys are good
2: <laughs> Fr- Freddie, my my chef de cuisine uh, a dishwasher and, and a partner of mine that was willing to give me a couple of bucks to open a restaurant uh, that was it and and uh, you know for a while it was you know uh, a 12 pack of high life and some friends I didn't know if we were drunk or or if we really did something. I, I got no idea. It just I just said, you know, I remember looking at, at Freddie and going, This is a really good fucking burger. You think we should open a burger joint? I think so, chef. Okay, Freddie,
1: let's open a burger joint. <laughs> I mean there's your test kitchen. <laughs> so right from the beginning I noticed that Black Tap was all over the social media game, all over internet. You got you got to write up from the right in the beginning. Um, you were tagging all of the you know the usual suspects on Instagram, posting great photos. How much was social media part of the plan to get people in in the beginning? How much was it a plan? All right,
2: let me just let me let me let me air this right now. This is my first ever Instagram account. I had one that had my name on it. I had nothing. I knew I, I knew nothing about Instagram. I was like. I mean, I think I just figured out Facebook, and I completely, you know, brushed over Twitter. Um, and I really did – I mean, I had my own handle for Joe Zidori, and I was like, okay, 500 followers. This is cool. Once a month, I'd post something. It was. I didn't know how to use my camera phone. And um, I watched the success of other restaurants with social media. And, and I would make fun of people, like, oh, look at that hashtag. You know, and it was like, oh, another guy tagging people. I mean – I knew nothing about it, and I just decided to put my, you know, put everything I I had into it, um, use some creativity, be simple and cool about it, Um, and, and, uh, you know, it kind of like took its own shape. Um, And then I hired uh, my PR firm, which is Bullfrog and Bomb, which they're they're the bomb. I, I don't know where we'd be without them, and they started giving me some tips, Um, And then I had an an investor of mine who's a big digital guy. He gave me some tips. I remember he emailed me one Sunday, and I don't know if I was drunk or he was drunk or both of us were drunk when I got this email, um, but it was Sunday, and there was a beer in front of me. And he said, dude, stop posting shit about beer and start posting burgers. And I was like, oh. He's like, make sure people – see the burger, big, juicy, somebody eating it. He goes, that's all you need to do, and you'll win. And then I started doing that, and then I so I got to, like, 2,000 followers. And then um, eventually I realized that I'm a 38-year-old guy, and I needed to consult a 23-year-old girl um, because she probably knows Instagram a lot better than me, and I hired the amazing Brittany, um, who you guys have probably met or emailed with. And she looked at me, and she said, um, I can get you more followers, I can I can post interesting content, and I said, okay, let's try it. And uh, within about 60 days, she got us to 10,000 followers and an Instagram uh, page that is loved by all, and
1: here we are talking about it. Yeah, I think off the top of my head, I can probably think of maybe one restaurant account that has more followers than Black Tap. What's it's that, funny. Jack's wife, Frida? Oh, no, it wasn't even that, it was a, it's a <laughs> Queen's Comfort, but they've been posting, you know, a lot of burger photos for years. And Jacks Boy Frida just posted one today. Um, yeah, I'm sure you guys will catch up to them in no time. Long, I guess you guys have only been open for less than a year, a full year. Uh, seven months. So, how long into that seven months did you decide to open the second location? Um, I, I guess this is like
2: the theme of this whole conversation. That was an accident too. Um, <laughs> I had a friend of mine. Who uh, owned a sports bar concept over here called Game? His name is Evan Frost, um, and he's partners with uh, Richie Akiva from the Butter Group, who owns the famed One Oak and Up and Down, all those all those fancy dig places. Um, and they said they asked me, "Hey, you know, we've got this this sports bar concept, and but you know, it's just the food's not hitting the mark, chef's not hitting the mark." You know, can you help us out? And I said, guys, I really can. I said it's kind of a conflict of interest. I, you need a burger menu, and I, I got a burger restaurant. And they were like, all right, all right, we get it. So they started eating at Blacktop on a regular basis, and then finally, like three weeks later, they were just like, fuck this. They were like, just change the name to Blacktop. We'll paint the walls black. Let's let's just make a deal and and turn this into a bigger, better version of what you got now, and and we'll put everything we got behind it, and uh, let let's make this happen. And we we basically. Um, did all the construction within a month, we painted the walls black, we slapped plywood all over the place, um, hung some lights up, threw craft beer everywhere, uh, and I started for like two or three weeks just serving a couple of burgers to see what the reaction was, and it just got better and better and better, and people started coming in, and we didn't even have the Black Tap sign up yet, it was still called Game, um, and people were just you know starting to put two and two together, and then finally I called up Bullfrog and Baum, and was just like, all right, let's put a press release out. I'm hanging the neon sign in a week. Let's get ready. And as soon as we hung that sign, I, I mean, it went from you know they were doing a, I don't know 50 people a day, and we're doing 150 to 200 a day now. It's crazy. Yeah. So so yeah. So blacktop. One big accident.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know that I would call that an accident. I always like to tell people, uh, you know, if you're going to swim up water, you're you're upstream, you're going to get wet. Um, you know, you're out there, you're working hard, you have a good concept, people like it, you're doing good food, you're doing good things like. You know, I think that's a magnetic uh, attraction for people who are looking for great opportunities. Um, yeah.
2: You know, the the thing is this, and 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 uh, I said, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I told everyone, even my staff, I said, please don't stress out, please chill out, relax. It's a burger and a beer at the end of the day. We can't fuck it up that bad. And if we just kind of go about it at that that route the customer will understand it, sincerity will come through, the quality will stand on its own, and they'll fall in love with it. You know, I always said, what was the business plan? A good burger, ice cold beer, and rock and roll.
0: It sounds to me like a core piece of your uh, your restaurant identity is just being earnest and, and being, you know, not not trying to be pretentious. Would you say that's, that's helped be successful? Yes, very much so. I
2: um, really, um, over the years, I started out as, you know, a street kid from New York, and um, I went this whole champagne and roses route, working with Jean George and working for Trump and doing all that. And I, I remember, kind of feeling like, you know, I was always hiding my accent. I was always dressing a different way, and I just felt like, you know what, that ain't me. And and I don't care. I can I can hang with the best chefs in the world, but this still isn't me, you know. And um, when I opened this place, I said, you know what. I'm just going to be me, and I'm, I'm going to talk the way I want to talk. I'm going to you know, do business the way I want to do business and, and let people just you know, come in and experience that. Um, when I first opened the place, I had a friend of mine, Tony Giordano. He worked behind the bar with me. It was like the Tony and Joe show every day. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to Black Blacktop. You want a <laughs> beer? What kind of burger you want? And, and my wife said to me, she's like she's, – my wife is an Italian woman from, the, from Brooklyn. She said, Joe, you've got to tone it down. I said, why? Why I gotta tone it down? She goes, because somebody's gonna go on Yelp and say, what's up with the two Bada Bing boys behind this bar? I said, they'll love it, and sure as hell, on Yelp the first few reviews all said, you know, it was like Tony and Joe behind the bar will make you feel great. Uh, these guys are great, and the burger's great. And then we knew we were onto something, and that's when I said, you know what? Let's just let everyone's personality shine, and. Be as sincere as we can or earnest, as you said, and and, that, and the rest will just
0: happen. Is there a, a point in either of the restaurants where you had to have like an earnest lesson or have you always been this way?
2: I've always been a no-bullshit guy. <laughs> Is that what you're asking me?
0: Yeah,
2: basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's your answer.
0: I think that's what you should call like the general cheeseburger on your menu, the no-bullshit burger.
2: <laughs> I, you know what? I like that one. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes. <laughs> so Joe, let, let's talk a little bit more about, about uh, publicity for a second, because you keep talking about bullfrog. I, my company, we use them as well, so I'm very familiar. What 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 is the best way that you think you use them, or how, you know, how can a restaurant have a really great relationship with their publicist?
2: You know, uh, a publicist is only as good as the client. Um, and and I do feel that way. Um, and and you know, there are certain companies that are better than other. But but you have to respond. You have to give them what they need. Um, you can't. You have to understand what they're doing and what you know what a query means or what a deadline is. Be available for them. Um, don't be afraid to give one-liners. Um, and just constantly be responsive and, and full of full of content for, to give them. You know that or a million quills in their quiver to get you the hits that you need. And I think when a PR firm finds a client that has a couple of things. One, they're responsive. Two, they have tons of content. And three, people generally like the client and it's easy to sell them. You know, that's where that's where you get a good relationship. Um and, and I think we have that with Bullfrog and, and we enjoy working together. I don't consider them a third party. I consider them a team. We have our better in all of our better interests in hand and I, I, I I gotta say, they've been a big part of our success. As they'll say, "Oh, it was all you, Joe." You know, but you know, it's still it's still nice to give everybody credit for what they've done.
0: Now, do you do you set goals with them? Do you say, "Hey, I'm looking to get this. I'm looking to get that." Like, how does it work?
2: And you give me a lot of credit, Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, no, no, I do. I'm, I'm a very detail-oriented guy. Um, at the end of the day, I don't sleep. All I do is, is think about stuff, and I must I must drive them crazy with my one-line emails. I'm the king of that. Um, I come up with a ton of ideas. I think the last idea I came up with was like a donut Sunday. and I was like, will that work on Instagram? How many followers will we get off of that? And they were like, okay, Joe, I think take it easy. You, know, um, you need to sleep. Um, but no, it's... Uh, Yeah, it's just – I give them some goals. I think the goal that I gave them last was when we were going into June or July and I was fearful that the summer was going to decapitate us. And I called them up and I came up with all these initiatives and I was like, we've got to push, we've got to push. We can't lose money in July and August. I've got to be able to pay your bill, damn it. And, you know, September 1st, they were like, so, Joe, how'd you do? I was like, July and August were the best months we've ever had since we opened. You know? (laughs) Um, and, but yeah yeah they they get they get some uh, they get some marching orders from me every once in a while
0: yeah I, I find that a lot of restaurants hire a publicity team when they're opening and they're like oh yeah get us in this publication and this publication and they list out you know the top 10 grub streets in their town or whatever New York Times and then after that they don't know what to do uh, but you've been working with them for a long time Do you find that there's you know sort of one or two things that kind of work every time you go to the gauntlet
2: it's a long-term play, my friend. You cannot be short-sighted. You cannot say, "Oh, I want to hire you for three months," so you can't say, "I want to hire you for six months." You either commit or or you don't. They need people make this mistake with PR, and they they feel like, "Oh, I just paid you a check." Where's where's the hits? You know, it doesn't work that way. These these guys these 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 uh these guys and these gals they need they need like if they're good, four weeks to get to get like any sort of traction. Um, you know, so like the first month, you've got to just be patient and understand that they're doing their job and then the fruits of their labor happen on like, you know, by day 60, you're like, all of a sudden, you're, you're watching the hits come in um, and there's waves and you have to understand those waves. Um, they're at the mercy of allocation with press and they're at the mercy of lead times and I think today we worked on, Brittany, what did we work on? Food and Wine is producing for June already or something like that? It was like Food and Wine magazine. We're already interviewing for the June edition. You know, if you're not in it to win it, you're never going to get that stuff. And so you've got to, you know, not be short-sighted with it, make a commitment. Um, if you're upfront and honest about the commitment you want to make, you can negotiate the dollar amount to make it work for everybody over a longer period of time. Um, you know, it's... It's a part of the machine, and it's a spark plug in the engine, and if you don't have it, you're not going not gonna, you know, to get around the track as fast.
0: How often do you feel like somebody comes into the restaurant and says, oh, I read about it on Gothamist?
2: Well, the other day, that was almost every customer when the day the article came out. Um, I didn't even know it came out because I was so busy, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I said to my GM, I'm like, holy shit, we're fucking busy. He looked at me and goes, chef, Got the list of the top twelve burgers in the city, and I said, "Oh yeah, that's right." I had no clue. I was just letting him. Didn't want him to know I didn't know. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right." I forgot to tell you about it. And then, and then I, I looked at my emails finally, and Bullfrog sent me a, a press alert about it. And but I was like, I, I was. We're building a basement bar, a basement dining room um, underneath Black Tap, which I think you guys are aware of, called Black Tap Down. I was literally down there, like you know, like hanging shelves and like cutting wood and painting the walls. Um, I, I, I like for like two days I had no idea what was going on, and uh, yeah, the Gothamist thing did really well. Every time something comes out, though people come in and say something, um, but the biggest draw is, or the best is this, a tourist comes in, a French person or a German, and they walk in and they go, yeah, yeah, black tap? I'm like, yeah, and they put their phone in my face and they they basically are trying to tell me that they found us on Instagram and they're from another country and they don't speak English and they just want a burger. I look at them, I go, sit here, and I point to the Texan, I go, order that one and you'll be happy. (laughs) (laughs) I remember one Tuesday night that we have, what, 20 stools? Um, 21 if i squeeze it there was 24 people squeezed at the bar and not a, one of them m- spoke a word of english I, I didn't know what to do i was like okay and everyone just went, looked at me and they pointed to the menu and one person pointed to the texan burger and i think all of them like a chain reaction just ordered the texan burger it was i was like holy shit and they were all and there was a couple of young kids with them and they were all they were talking about was how they found us on instagram so yeah Power of social media.
0: So, so the lesson here is: uh, get into an accident, have nice Instagram photos, and hire Bullfrog. If the, if we're saying this correctly, yeah. And don't be a bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about okay. about food sourcing. Um, okay. You're getting a lot of great reviews. You've been invited to be a chef at, at Food and Wine Fest. You know how important is it to you? Um, the quality of the food you're serving and where you're getting it from. Number
2: one, it's what sets us apart. Um, everyone always asks me what's the difference. I think the difference is our quality and 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 the dedication to it. Um, every ingredient is is great. Um, the Pat to beef, you know, uh, when I when I first opened, it was uh, sorry, Rev. Um, <laughs> the, I, the asked, pat- I asked the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I did my cuttings, I mean, it was just night and day. Uh, believe it or not, the burger that stood out the most when I did my cuttings was the uh, Greg Norman um, Australian Wagyu beef. And I did at one point say to myself, fuck, this is good. I should just serve all Kobe beef. Um, but then I looked at the business model and realized I wouldn't make any money. Um, and nobody wanted to pay $21 for a burger in a burger joint. But it's all about the quality you know, down to the sourcing of the beef. Um, to the recipes and how well-balanced they are. That's part of the quality as well. That's why, that's why there's a chef behind it. Um, it's a chef-driven burger. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't make any mistake with the bun. I, I cannot stand a dry, brioche, crappy hamburger bun that came from some local bakery that's been sitting in the kitchen for three days, and then you toast it and think it's okay. Not going to work. Um, any good chef loves July 4th weekend because they get to slap a, a grilled burger with extra American cheese and a Martin's potato bun, and God forbid they use ketchup. I will take their chef digs away from them.
0: Um, we can be best friends. We can be best uh, friends out. Hey,
2: buddy, ketchup's for suckers. Let's remember that.
0: <laughs> and for people from New Jersey.
2: We don't talk about New Jersey. <laughs> um <laughs> anyway, so which leads me to like all of our sauces are made from scratch. You know, every burger joint's got the proverbial list of sauces, but you know, half of them are coming out of a bottle. Um, our special sauce is special. It's, it is Thousand Island with the little Chipotle Worcestershire and Korean pepper. Damn, there goes the secret. Um, our horseradish so- sauces are made from scratch. Our blue cheese, our crack sauce, the buttermilk dill is made from organic local buttermilk. Um, we put a lot of pride into that. Our wing sauce is a homemade Korean barbecue sauce. I think the only thing we bring in is our mayonnaise. And I have a uh, love infatuation with Sweet Baby Race barbecue sauce. And outside of that, we make everything else from scratch. Um, And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And and we're also smart enough to make decisions that are based on consistency, too. When we first opened the restaurant, I was hand-cutting fries I was like adamant about, I was doing this triple blanche process and I was like having to get at the restaurant at like seven o'clock in the morning just to get the fries done. Um, and I realized I could never sustain that. So I decided to have all my dry goods guys bring me every French fry they had in their, in their repertoire. And I spent a week eating French fries and I finally came up with a fry that was good for our burger. And the reason why it was good was not because it, you know, it wasn't, Uh, Well, well, Black Tap is based on the old-school coffee shop in New York. If you've been there, you know that. You know, it's a luncheon at Burger's, these Burger Deluxe. And I felt that the fries that I chose and picked, which are this, you know, certain brand, um, evoked that nostalgic flavor and feel of a coffee shop. So I said, this is right. And I said, at the end of the day, the burger needs to be absolutely perfect and the fry needs to be hot and crispy and consistent to – Complement that burger like a supporting character, you know, um, or supporting actor. Um, so like, there's there's a lot of thought that went into all of it. it. wasn't just you know wasn't just like hey let's just cook a burger.
0: So When you kind of touched on this, let's go down that road for a second. When do you think it makes sense to uh, let's not call it outsourcing, but to to have something pre-prep? Like, do you you don't grind your own beef? You get it from La Frida, but you could grind your own beef. So when does when does it make sense to do something like that, like the French fries?
2: Consistency. When you are when you are. All right. First off, let's. First off, you have to be a businessman before you are a chef. If, if the if the two uh, flip flop, you end up with a food cost that will drive you out of business. Um, So that's one. So you have to take, and what I mean by that is food costs and labor costs. It's great to make a lot of things. It's great to do things from 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 scratch, but you know when you're in New York City and your restaurant is the size of a postage stamp, um, and you can't fit you know a million guys in there to work, or you just don't have the money for it. You've got to figure out ways to survive and still provide high quality and still provide consistent product. At the end of the day. Whether it's a frozen fry or a a homemade fry, it better be the fucking same every time somebody walks in. When you make things from scratch, you have variables that that will affect that um, and also affect your labor costs. So you have to take that in consideration. And when you make the decision to go to something that's, I don't know, pre-prepped, I hate using the word processed or whatever, you need to do your due diligence and try everything that's on the market. Um, and and doctor and if you can find something and add a twist to it or doctor it to make it better that that's great. Um, and we've got a variety of different things that we do at Black Tap because I mean look it's 500 square feet guys and we do 250 people a day with 20 stools. We don't have a prep kitchen. It's it's a four foot griddle and, and a fryer and and Gustavo. You know and so it's like. <laughs> like, uh, I mean every time I throw something on, on the menu Gustavo looks at me and goes are you fucking crazy I'm like we'll figure it out and, and you know you got to take that in consideration because if you don't all you're doing is stroking your ego and then your ego ends up giving the customer
1: an inconsistent experience so you're obviously very aware of the kind of time that you have based on the scaling back of the fry and, and all that. But given the new work at the new location, all the festivals that you've got coming up, do you ever worry about, given the pace of everything, that you might be spreading yourself too thin? One, every day. Every day. I, I hate the festivals because it takes me away from the restaurant. I can't stand
2: them. I, I'm like, I, I fight them. I, I only pick and choose which ones I do. Um, because they take me away from the restaurant. My favorite thing that I hear from people is not how great the burger is, not how hospitable your guys are. My favorite thing is is when I'm standing at the door and I tell somebody it's going to be five minutes for a seat and it's their first time, and the guy next to them who's a separate party and has been there a couple of times looks at that guy and goes, don't worry. These guys are fucking fast. That, <laughs> gets, me, that gets me off, you know what I mean? I'm, I, I, and I pride myself on that, you know what I mean? I'm an efficient, badass chef. I mean I'm that guy that I'm banging on the bell, I'm putting food up in the window – and if somebody's not running it, I'm running it myself because I preach to my staff all the time, we win this game because it's a matter of seconds. The, the, the longer it takes to cook that product, the longer it sits in the window, the lesser of the experience it's going to be for the customer. Um, it's a burger. It's got to be fast. Um, so I take, you know, I, I take all those things in consideration when I'm developing menu items and labor models and recipes. So then why do the festivals at all? Oh, they are fun. I do get to drink beer the whole time. <laughs> it's, <laughs> just a great, so just, it's a great perk. Yeah. I bring my own beer, too. I mean I, you know, I, I mean, I go to some of these festivals. They're like, oh, so so sponsored. I'm like, yeah, don't worry. I got I, I a cooler full of High Life. I'm good. No. <laughs> That's another thing. Everyone's like, you want a craft beer bar? I'm like, yeah, and I drink High Life. What's your point? You know, it's like, uh, but no, the festivals are fun. Um, Burger Bash is a must. Absolutely and I was very honored to be part of it. So don't take me wrong. Um, I have a love for the Hamptons. You know, I lived out there a long time. I owned a restaurant out there. So Dan's Taste of Two Forks was was a place for me to I, I just enjoyed doing it. Time out. Timeout I walked up and saw that charcoal grill. I knew my day was fucked. Um, but you know, it was a fun event. We had a good time and met some great people. Um, Yeah, they're fun, but at the end of the day, you know, my team is not interested in being out there plugging themselves or doing, you know, or or dancing like a monkey. They're more interested in doing their job and, 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 uh, you know, pumping food out and making people happy within the four walls that are blacktop.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, I tasted your burger at that time out event, and it really tasted good that day. You were doing something different. I can't remember what it would have been. I'm joking. I'm clearly joking, so. I must have I, I must have drank an extra high life for two. Do yes. you feel do you feel like by participating in the festivals, uh, you know, the restaurant or you in terms of notoriety get anything out of it?
2: No, me, no. I mean I I, I don't get the notoriety's not for me, it's for the restaurant. Um because, you know, nobody walks up and says, oh, my God, Joe is the Dory. I love you. I can't wait to eat you. No, they walk up, they go, oh, Black Tap, I love this burger. I've been there a million times. Oh, Black Tap, I heard about it. You know, it's, it's about Black Tap. It's not about me. I just happen to be the loud mouth behind the, behind the table, screaming, eat a Kobe beef burger. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a good way to promote the restaurant. It's also a good way to show people that, you know, you're, you're – um, you got your shit together, and you're able to pull off an event like that and stand out amongst the best. Um, you know, there are a lot. It's more positives than, than negatives. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all a bunch of kitchen rats at heart, and we like to be in our kitchen.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen chefs walk into that, uh, and they're only focused on the victory, or they're only focused on, you know, finding new customers, and I don't know that those are the right reasons to do one of those things. I think they're a part of it, but they're probably not all of it.
2: It's the worst reasons, actually. Just go there, be yourself, have fun, enjoy it. Even if you serve dog shit on a plate, you're still going to get publicity out of it. People are still going to see your restaurant. People are still – you're probably still going to get at least one more customer. If you just go in there, set yourself up, um, don't overdo it. You know, I see chefs all the time that got five components to it on, on a, on a four-and-a-half-inch plate and a line down, down the, the tent looking, looking to, you know, to eat, and it's like, dude, what are you doing, man? It's cut it out. This is not what this is about. Um, I will tell you this. One of the lessons I did learn at these festivals is if you go to a festival that's not a burger fest, and it's just like a random mishmash of food, and you happen to be the burger guy, oh, madame, you fucked. I mean, that line <laughs> does not stop. I mean, it's like, you know, you look you look at the, you turn around, you look at the guys, and you go, you just keep cooking burgers till I tell you to fucking stop. Like, start, <laughs> just keep cooking. I, I don't, don't ask me how many, just cook. And, and, man, do people love burgers. Uh, but that's the whole point. Don't overdo it. Don't overthink it. Just have fun. People are going to come to your restaurant no matter what. They'd rather see people that are having fun and calm, cool, collective, and comfortable you know, at their station than looking to produce a, a two-star Michelin plate on uh, you
0: know, a six-foot folding table. Yeah, I think participating in those is a great opportunity to get some exposure, uh, you know, to the right people. And if you're providing, you know, some semi decent food, because let's be honest, cooking your food in that situation is difficult, and and a wonder, you know, rewarding experience. As long as they eat you in the first hour, <laughs> or, the, or the last one out, you, you're probably going to be remembered by them.
2: We're usually the first one who runs out, so we're, we're we're that's one that's one uh, streak we got. Um, You know, I've actually turned down events and one just recently because I just felt like I couldn't do the quality of what I wanted to do. Like, there was this one um, indoor event that wanted me to cook on, like, uh, a Hamilton Beach griddle. And they asked me, well, why can't you do that? And I looked at them. I was like, you're not serious. I was like... But, um, you know, very nicely, I said, that's great, but, you know, a burger's not going to work, and it's going to cause too much flame, it's going to cause too much smoke, and it's not going to taste right, so I just prefer to not do it.
1: As we wrap up here, because, and this actually works out really well, given how much everybody here loves burgers, but we like to ask all of our guests a few burger questions before we take it home. Uh, so, Joe, what was your favorite burger growing up? It's <laughs> a cheeseburger deluxe, dude. I mean, it's as
2: simple as that. I mean, it was... Go go to the go to. I mean, I remember growing up in the Bronx. You know, we'd go out and you know what we do? We went to the diner afterwards, and I got a cheeseburger deluxe, and I always remember asking them for extra American cheese and a side of mayonnaise. And I remember my buddies looking at me going, "But what's the matter with you? You can't eat a burger normal? You gotta have it all fancy? What's the matter with you?" And I'd be like, "No, it tastes better this way." And that's my most favorite, most nostalgic burger and one of the main motivations behind Blacktop.
0: Was there a, was there one place uh, in memory that did it better than anywhere else? Oh, hell yeah. So, all right, I've, I'm full of stories, by the way. Um, <laughs> another quick one.
2: So um, my father, when I was 16 years old, I might have been younger, but 16 still still suitable. He said, hey, kid, let's go have a drink, all right? My father was a chef. I worked in the kitchen. You work in a kitchen. At the end of the day, you, you have a drink. Period. So um, we went to this bar uh, called the Piper's Kilt, and we used to get what was called the kilt burger. And I remember my father giving me a Coors Light, a shot of whiskey, and a, and a kilt burger.
0: Which location? Which Which location?
2: Ah, uh, my man, you're in the know. That's a great question. This was the Eastchester location.
0: I think it's um, I think it's a little better, to be honest. It is well. It's where
2: it's where the real kilt Burger lives. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, you and I got something in common there. Yeah. Um, so um, that was that was really uh, I motiv- I modeled the Black Tap Burger after the Kilt Burger, and that is a true story. Um, you know, from the days of my father and I going to eat there. Um, my father passed away uh, maybe five years ago, and I still walk into that into uh, into the Kilt to this day. And uh, first thing I do is sit down and they put a shot of whiskey in front of me in a Coors light and they tell me now its they used to ask me how's your father?" now they go let's talk about your father and they tell stories So um, it's really special it's where I had one of my first drinks and one of the greatest burgers ever And when I opened Blacktop about a week into it this woman named Tracy uh, walks in and uh, she must have be in her I don't know late 40s and she looked at me and she goes, you know, you know what your burger's like? I said, what? She goes, have you ever been to the Piper's Kilt in Eastchester? I swear, <laughs> I almost I almost kissed this woman right on the lips. And, and and I looked at her and I said, I'm a Yonkers boy. Of course I know the Piper's Kilt. And I said, you're the only one that's ever realized that this is modeled after that. So, uh, yeah, Piper's Kilt. I'm glad you know
1: it.
0: That's awesome so, story.
1: so today, if you were going to have a burger not at Black Tap and not at Piper's Kilt, where would you? Where's your favorite burger? Oh wow. Um,
0: I don't know. I don't. I don't know.
2: That's oh god, you stumped me. <laughs> I'm I'm am full of shit. You stumped me. Um, so my favorite burger. Uh, oh, I have it. Okay, the Wing Bar in Cowell Gardens on Smith Street has a badass bar burger. Um, that with some wings is really awesome, and the people who run the place are amazing. It's a bunch of brothers and sisters. So the Wing Bar on Smith Street in Cal Gardens, I have definitely
0: tried. I have been there. I've had the burger, and I ate more wings. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, so I used to own a restaurant across the street from there. That's why, and that's where I like. I would get out of work, and I would go across the street, and I would just have a burger, and you know, a lot of beer because the restaurant was not doing well. Um, and and some wings. So, but yeah, that's 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 probably where I'd end up. Probably more for the the the, uh, the emotional feel of it than anything else.
0: Awesome. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I think we've had a lot of fun talking about uh, hamburgers, nostalgia, family, the restaurant business, publicity, <laughs> New York City, and uh, being true to ourselves. So, uh, it's been a real real pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to talk uh, hamburgers and and uh, hospitality with me and Brad here.
2: No problem. I love it. Thanks for thanks for
0: having me, guys. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Like Bite and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries, we take the show notes for you. Go to Schwidensons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode
1: featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.